This morning we're going to be traveling a bit through the Gospel of Mark, and if you find that helpful, I invite you to turn to it now, and the uh, citations that I'm giving you, I'll be giving you, will be consecutive. So we'll move steadily through the Gospel of Mark, and you can turn to Mark 133 first. Let us pray together. Dear God, we thank you for the precious gift of life that you have given us. And that through Jesus, we have come to see this way of learning and growing and developing and walking in your ways toward the abundant life that you offer us. So we pray for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. Help us, help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the Gospel of Mark, we feel the magnetism of Jesus as he goes about his ministry of teaching and healing and proclaiming the beautiful kingdom of God. Some 36 different times, we see crowds, sometimes enormous in size, gathering to be near him, gathering sometimes to try to touch him. Now, some of these folks, of course, just want to get a selfie with him. But many others are drawn for much deeper reasons. Their spiritual hunger, their economic desperation, their physical need, or their political hope for liberation from the empire. Sometimes, in 133, a whole city gathers right outside Jesus' door. Imagine that. Sometimes, 3-9, Jesus even has to jump into a boat to get away from the crush of the crowd. And along the way, 634, Jesus' heart is often moved with great compassion. These crowds are like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus ministers to them, he feeds them, and he heals them. But our dear writer Mark also paints for us a very human picture of Jesus. We see Jesus sometimes getting just plain worn out and exhausted, just like us. In 631, he doesn't even have time to eat. Sometimes that even happens to us, doesn't it? We don't even have time to eat. And sometimes we see Jesus just getting plain exasperated, fed up. In 7-1, for example, the crowd now includes many religious leaders Many pastors. And what are they doing? They are nitpicking 
with Jesus because his disciples aren't washing their hands properly. I think that's when he starts feeling that migraine starting to come on. For God's sake, he tells them. For God's sake. Shift your focus. Come on. Look at the deeper washing that needs to take place in every human heart. You know, in a sermon back in June, I explored with you four passages in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus crosses over to the other side. Crosses from Gentile territory across the lake into Gentile territory. Did I say that right? From No, I didn't. Sometimes I actually hear myself. Not too often. From Jewish territory. It's very important. He crosses from Jewish territory over into Gentile territory. Territory considered unclean and defiled by Jesus' own people. And I invite you just for a moment to look at that map again printed in your bulletin. You'll see it in the inside fold there. Three of Jesus' crossings. Number one, two, and four on your map. All of the ones on the Sea of Galilee are very intentional. Each time Jesus is getting into a boat and crossing over to the wrong side of the lake to minister to Gentiles over there. But today's crossing, number three, at the top of your map, in this one, Jesus seems to be more like an accidental tourist who has just happened to find a great place up in Tyre on Airbnb. This time, his foray into Gentile territory seems just to be for rest and prayer. The guy's worn out. Rather than making any kind of big racial ethnic statement. Jesus is simply on retreat. And as 724 makes clear, he does not want anyone to know that he's there. Maybe you've been on a vacation like that too. Where you don't want anyone to know that you're there. But even up in Tyre... Our worn-out Jesus cannot escape notice. A Syrophoenician woman with a daughter who is suffering terribly hears that he's in town and comes knocking on his door. Actually, there's no evidence that she ever knocks on the door. She just comes in, throws herself at his feet, and begs for him to help. Jesus seems completely alarmed 
by this woman's social breaking and entering. In his honor culture, this kind of social trespassing, woman to man, Gentile to Jew, is a complete scandal. And so Jesus tries to shut her down and send her away with a common racist slur. Jewish children get fed first. Only the leftovers go to Gentile dogs. And if you really want to feel the sting of his words, just replace children and dogs with any two races in our day. Nevertheless, she persists. This bold woman stands firm and calls out Jesus. Even if that's true, sir, don't dogs still get the scraps that fall under the table? And suddenly cut to the heart. Jesus responds, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. As the one with the power in the room, notice how, at least in the end, Jesus doesn't try to mansplain her, I didn't say that right, mansplain her, explain her out the door. Instead, he listens, he learns from her, and shows us all how to graciously lose an argument. Now, I don't know about you, but I continue to find this an incredibly disorienting story. Because usually in the Gospels, isn't it someone else who usually says something mean or foolish? And Jesus who then responds with compassion and insight. But here the roles are reversed. And this woman seems to be playing Jesus. Many commentators go to great lengths even performing hermeneutical backflips to soften the sting of Jesus' words here. Some commentators want us to notice that in this passage, Jesus doesn't actually call Gentiles dogs, but little dogs. So he meant doggies or puppies. Other commentators say that, come on, you've got to see the twinkle in Jesus' eye. He was teasing her. He was testing her. But that leaves us with the problem of Jesus toying with a desperate mother whose daughter is in peril. Doesn't help me. So why... 
is a straightforward reading of this passage so hard for us? Is it because though we confess Jesus as fully God, fully human, we want to limit the fully human part only to his physical body and don't want it ever to include his mental and spiritual life? But friends, is it possible for Jesus really to be fully human without him learning and growing just like us? What if Jesus learns something here from this brave woman that is absolutely crucial for him to fulfill his mission of reconciling all people and all nations to God? Could it just be because of this brave woman that we see Jesus setting aside the racist hostility and conditioning toward Gentiles that he surely grew up with in Nazareth? Could it just be? And finally learning that everybody has a place at God's table and not just underneath it. Now, maybe you're sitting there saying, hey, preacher, wait a minute. <laughs> Guess you are. Don't his other three crossings over to the Gentiles show us that Jesus already knows all of that? In her wonderful novel, Gilead, Marilyn Robinson says that sometimes we can know something but still need to understand more fully what it means. We can know something. We can say the words but still need to understand and live into them more fully. Earlier this year, ten of us chestnutters, including all the members of the Mission Commission, took a diagnostic test called the Intercultural Developmental Inventory. Actually, just development. Intercultural Development Inventory. It measures how well each of us is able to read and bridge cultural differences and similarities. Now, having lived in the Middle East for, and China for all of 12 years, I was getting ready to ace that test. I felt, here's a test finally that I've got. Now, the IDI actually measures two things. The first is our perception of how well we're doing interculturally. And I did really well on that first part of the test. Oh, boy, my perception was really high. But the second part measures how we are actually functioning 
interculturally, and on that part, I scored significantly lower. Ouch. It was painful. So, dear friends, what do we do in our life when we uh, face this kind of gap, this kind of discrepancy? How do we respond? Do we dismiss the test? Do we Google for all the critiques of it? (laughs) I did that. (laughs) I did that. Do we send the Syrophoenician woman away packing? Or do we ask, what am I being invited to learn here? What am I being invited to learn here? That, dear friends, is our golden question for every life situation. No matter how difficult or challenging, dear God, how are you wanting me to grow here? And the beauty of this question is that there is no situation, dear friends, in your coming week, no matter how much of a waste of time or annoying or irritating it seems to you, where God cannot guide you to ask this question and to grow in some new way. After taking the IDI, here's what I've learned so far. That there's a world of difference between just saying that diversity is a mighty good idea And actually welcoming it, seeking it out, encouraging it, working for it. And diversity, by the way, not only includes people of different races, classes, and sexual orientations, which it absolutely does, it also includes people of different theological and political differences and perspectives as well. It's only in the flowering of our diversity that the church can begin to represent the kingdom of God and give full expression to the beauty of God. By the way, two weeks ago at our group's debriefing, Ten of us sitting in a circle with Linda Herr from MCC. I did find some consolation. Some sweet consolation. In discovering that all the other chestnutters, on average, scored exactly the same way I did. Woo! Praise the Lord. That's right. In other words... We're all in the same learning boat together. Returning to Mark, let's not miss what happens next with Jesus. 
in 731, he meets a man who is deaf and mute. By now, Jesus is all the way back down on the Gentile side, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee again. But this time, there's no more talk from Jesus about dogs or who gets to eat. Jesus just heals him. And then in 8.1, still on the same Gentile side of the lake, Jesus feeds a huge crowd of 4,000 Gentiles. We learn he is filled with compassion for them. And again, there's no more talk about dogs or puppies or doggies. Everyone now has a place at God's table. Dear friends, here is our Lord Jesus modeling for all of us the learning and the growing that are absolutely crucial to being fully human. And modeling the unlearning, the unlearning of the racist conditioning that he and all of us have grown up with. So as we move into the next week, into the next semester, into a new season in our church life together, a new worship series next month, let us keep asking our golden question, what am I being invited to learn here? Dear God, dear God, how Do you want us to grow? Amen.